Yes. Good afternoon. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Thursday, August the 4th, 2022. And the roller coaster ride of Americans abroad continues upside down, sideways, and diagonally. And apparently, uh, I have been informed that yesterday the French Senate actually rejected the proposal to require uh, the equivalent exchange of information under the factor rules, uh, which suggests that, uh, you know, the French government perhaps is not all that opposed to FATCA, which is, of course, to enforce the mechanism of citizenship taxation. And in that context, my guest today, Ryan Hirsch, uh, sent me an interesting study from 2019, where, oh my God, you're not going to believe it, but the politicians of France had a very lengthy discussion about whether France should move towards citizenship taxation or not. And here to discuss that with me today is Ryan Hirsch, who sent me the study. Ryan, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks, John. How are you? I am fine. I am fine. And thank you for sending that uh, study over. I've been reading it this afternoon, and uh, it, it, it's uh, a well-done study in terms of the uh, research for sure. Uh, you know, there's a saying that uh, people are entitled to their opinions, but not their facts. And I would say they did a pretty good job on the facts. But I understand you're in Texas. You're not even outside the United States, at least yet. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I'm in Texas. Well, you know, you are truly unique because I have never met a resident of the United States who had the slightest interest in citizenship taxation, but yet you clearly do. So maybe you could share with listeners a bit about who you are and uh, how come you're interested in this topic at all. So I moved to Texas in 2017 in search of greener pastures from California. And I became aware of citizenship-based taxation for Americans as the result of research, because I was thinking about moving our family abroad from Texas. And the more that I learned, the more horrified I was to discover the obligations that I would face if I left the United States. And it wasn't, certainly the tax liability feels unfair, but more than that, the horrific penalties that typically start at $10,000 and go up from there for even clerical errors, it seems. So it seems as though it's very difficult for Americans to have a life outside of the United States and remain compliant with the Internal Revenue Code. Well, I think it's very tough. And, you know, you talk about the $10,000 penalties. Did you know that uh, the $10,000 FBAR penalty has been increased the minimum because of inflation? Are you aware of that? No, I didn't know that. Oh, my God, I bet you're sorry you came on the, my podcast today, or, or maybe you're glad to know that, but absolutely. You know, it's the most amazing thing, right? We have this, you know, as you know, this $10,000 aggregate account reporting threshold, which hasn't been changed since, I guess, 70 or 71 or something. So as inflation increases, more and more people are required to file FBARs, and as more and more people are required to file FBARs, yes, Congress put in an inflation adjustment to the minimum FBAR penalty. So it's now, you know, somewhere in the $12,000 range. 
Are you happy to hear that? I'm sorry to hear that, John. And let me guess, the threshold for reporting has not been indexed for inflation. Oh, my God, you guessed correctly. Who could have known? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this is a deliberate attempt to increase the penalty base and raise the penalty payable. Agreed? Oh, yes, clearly. Ryan, would you agree it's the American way? That's the only conclusion I can draw, John. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, what I find interesting is I've been doing a, a series of uh, podcasts recently on this this FBAR issue, and nobody even, it's incredible, people don't even know this, right? That, you know, this thing has been indexed to inflation. But, you know, I mean, I think it's reasonable to index, uh, you know, the necessities of life to inflation. And maybe the view of the U.S. government is that FBAR penalties are just, you know, a necessity of life, right? That could be. Well, anyway, this is amazing stuff. You know, you talk about the penalties uh, moving abroad, and, and that's certainly an issue. But are you aware also, God, it's a good thing I can see you're sitting down. Um, are you are you aware also that the the effect of all of this stuff is such that the United States actually imposes a far more punitive system of taxation on Americans abroad than on residents? Yes, I, I learned about that recently to my considerable horror. Yes, yes. I mean, so we're in a situation, right, where in all countries of the world, except the United States, okay, people want to throw in Eritrea too, but that's a sideshow, right? You know, all other countries of the world, right? You know, you legitimately move from the country. You're not taxable by the country you move from anymore, right? Right. But in the case of the United States, of course, you're still taxable, but you're actually taxed even worse, right? That's right. So what do you think could be the possible rationale for, I mean, even if one were to agree with the principle of citizenship taxation, we'll get to in a minute. What do you think the possible rationale could be of, let's tax the bastards worse if they leave? I think it's about control and I think it's about information gathering because effectively by compelling countries to sign on to IGAs to disclose information about Americans who may or may not live in their countries, uh, there's a tremendous volume of data that are being transferred automatically to the United States from all over the world. And that's not reciprocal. It's a one-way flow. So sure, there's, there's, there's information and there's power and there's access to be had there. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it certainly can't be about, uh, about, you know, the economics because, you know, time and time again, I mean, there's never been any, any analysis of the fact the issue that suggests that, uh, you know, you know, that there are economic benefits to the United States, right. At least direct in terms of raising revenue, but, you know, there clearly are control benefits. Now, it's interesting to me that in describing the fact or the fact IGAs, that you just said they're they're not reciprocal. Did I understand you correctly? Yes, that's right. Okay. So it's interesting for me. I mean, I agree with you, but what I find fascinating about this is that so many people think they're reciprocal. They assume these things are reciprocal. Have, have you heard this? Sometimes somebody says, well, you know, they're reciprocal. 
I have seen that on some social media forums. Yeah. Where do people get this idea? I think it's just an assumption. I, I think the notion that it's not reciprocal is so outlandish that it blows people's mind. I think Americans are good people. They have a, a sense of fair play. And they assume that if a requirement is being made of other countries, that the United States is reciprocating in kind. I think you're right on this. The only explanation I can come up with, because, you know, as you may or may not know, for years I've been involved in a, a fact, a lawsuit in Canada. And uh, the appeal on it was heard in March. And the judges actually asked the question. They said, or they didn't even ask it. They, they, they made a statement. Well, well, we assume this agreement is this IGA is reciprocal, right? And, and I think you're right. I think the notion that somehow it wasn't reciprocal was so outlandish that nobody could believe it. Maybe that's why fact and citizenship taxation works. It's, it's just so crazy that, you know, you talk about it and people think you're making it up or something. I think that's true. Yeah, that's, it's been my experience that I actually have yet to meet a homeland American who is aware of citizenship taxation. Is this something like when you meet somebody, you say, hi, my name is Ryan, glad to meet you. I just wanted to know what you thought about citizenship taxation. Is that how you start your dialogue with people? Either? No, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking of conversations I've had within my own family and immediate circle of friends. There's zero awareness of this. Uh, and what is their reaction when you describe this? Disbelief, shock, and then probably a desire to push it out of their minds since it doesn't affect them. Or, or because it doesn't sort of jive with their assumption of American fairness and goodness and fair play. Would that be accurate as well? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think because of the complexity, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to explain to people, particularly when I think that, especially in the United States, right, which is a more, I think, self-contained and insular country than smaller countries, right? If you're a small country in Europe or something, you know, you kind of have to be aware of other countries, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot easier to equate citizenship with residence. So, you know, you say, well, you know, the U.S. has citizenship taxation. I think that most people say, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's citizens live here, right? You know, of course they have that. I mean, do you think that sort of plays a role as well? Or Yes, I think that's a fine distinction that a lot of people miss. Um, that was actually touched on a little bit in the report, the distinction between residence and citizenship. And there were some comments made that some people were saying there should be a, a fundamental tie between taxation and citizenship. And some other people pointed out that only 60% of French people pay income tax. So, and they're, they're, and they're talking about people who are resident in France. Mm -hmm. So because there's a progressive tax code, by definition, not all residents, including all citizens, are subject to the tax. So it seems to me, and it seems to some of the commenters, certainly on the report from the French National Assembly, that it's inherently unfair to, if, if you were going to base taxation inherently on citizenship, you would have people resident in France, foreign nationals who are resident, who take advantage of French services, who use French infrastructure, 
who are exempt from paying tax. And you could have a French citizen on the other side of the planet who doesn't use any of those services, but remains liable for the tax. So yeah. philosophically, it's extremely problematic. Well, I think, you know, this is a very, uh, you know, it's a very astute observation you make. Um, and, you know, as I have watched these discussions unfold over the years, um, I think that the issue is largely whether you assume a link between taxation and benefits of government services or something like that. Now, what struck me reading the report, and we'll talk more specifically about it in a second, but what struck me about it was the, the general the general assumption, okay, no matter which way you look at this stuff, that somehow or other taxes are the price you pay for services you get from the government. Would you say that that's sort of a thread that runs through that report? Yes, I would. And yeah, and now, but the U.S. system, all right, is actually the exact opposite. In fact, it is not a benefits uh, system at all. It's you just pay because you're a citizen. That's it. And I think that from you know from a U.S. perspective, I think that probably it's great if if the U.S. government doesn't provide any services because it just costs them less to collect you know to, you know to run these people profitably, right? At least right. in theory. But it's clear that the U.S. does not have a benefits-based system. And, I, I mean, do you feel as a U.S. resident that you get anything for your tax? I mean, what do you get as a U.S. resident from the taxes you pay if you pay taxes to the federal government, you know, after a seven? Well, I get some roads. Okay. And uh, the U.S. Postal Service, although I suppose that's supposed to be a fee-for-service operation, but it is subsidized. By tax okay. dollar. All right. So you pay part with your stamp and you get mail. Okay. Yeah. Right. What else? Well, there's national security. So to the extent that the activities of the US military further my personal security, that's a benefit. Okay. Um well, I live on the border, so there's the customs and border patrol. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's also related to personal security. Right. Yeah. That That's about the extent of it, I think. Well, it, it is interesting that, uh, you know, you didn't mention Social Security, and that's a separate tax, right? Right. Uh, you know, et cetera. But it is interesting that uh, on the level of the income taxes, right, and, you know, certainly not health care and stuff, that um, – I mean, I, I, clearly, you know, it's not like the U.S. provides nothing, okay? But but clearly, uh, the U.S. views its responsibilities towards its citizens as less than, uh, say, France. No question. You know, for example, yeah. right? You know, which, but okay, all right. So this report, let me just get this in front of me here so I won't quite looking at you, but I know you're there. Um you said it was really, really interesting. And it's, uh, it's a 2019 report. And I would like, just because of the uh, timeliness of, of what's been going on in France recently, you know, the assembly trying to, you know, get this law into, uh, 
get some kind of reciprocity on FATCA. Uh, and the Senate saying, no, no, you know, we're not going to we're not going to allow this amendment. You know, and get, they gave a bunch of reasons for it. But what's interesting about this is at the end, uh, you know, there there's there's some 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 basic some basic concepts. Um, and I just want to read a bit of this in from one commentator, Dominique David or whoever, but anyway. Uh, so begins by saying that attacks on nationality is practiced only by the United States, Eritrea, and Burma. Um, but I think you and I would agree the United States stands alone in terms of the complexity and the punitiveness, right? Yeah, so there's no comparison between the demands that the U.S. places on its citizens and its commensurate ability to enforce those demands. Yeah, and, and say Eritrea. I mean, honestly, to include Eritrea in the United States is probably a gross insult to Eritrea. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, if you're discussing this in a negative sense. Um, what goes on with this paragraph, I'd like to read in. This is not a new subject. It was one of Dominic Strauss-Kahn's Proposals during the 2007 campaign, taken over by Nicolas Sarkozy, then Francois Holland in 2012, was one of the pillars of candidate somebody, uh, Melanchon's program in 2017, often debated in various forms, whether or never it's true to go into detail, blah, 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 calling it a false god, apparently original and attractive, but perfectly unrealizable unreal for a whole set of complex reasons. You know, science fiction is filled with good ideas, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what's also interesting is there are some comments then about FATCA. Moving down. Uh, and this, ha this has direct relevance to what, what's been going on the last few days. Now, speaking about the difficulty of adopting citizenship taxation, in essence, there are three major obstacles, right? Meaning, okay, two citizenship taxation from a French perspective. This tax system fully practiced by the United States cannot exist without FATCA, okay? A device which forces banks all over the world to declare to the American tax authorities the assets held by all taxpayers, listen to this, showing signs of Americanness. Uh, this device is obviously much criticized, and I invite you on the subject to reread the excellent report by our colleagues Mark LeFure and Lawrence St. Martin on accidental Americans. Now, that's important, okay, because these, at least uh, Mark LeFure, I believe, was the person behind the, if I'm not mistaken, the legislative proposal for factor reciprocity. Uh, recently, but then it goes on to say, but above all else, it works because the United States is the United States, and its currency is the world currency, which is a very good argument to convince the banks to cooperate. Okay, and then they go on and they say, you know, but they're not getting any revenue out of it, etc. Okay, so I mean, I think that's that's interesting in the sense that uh, you know that's talking about people who've been in the news, you know, very recently, right? So I mean, it tells you two things. One, uh, you know, the lack of reciprocity on the FATCA thing is uh, obviously a thorn in the side of legislators in France, right? Right. And it also tells us that citizenship taxation has been on the radar for a while. 
I would recommend this report to anybody and everybody because it really uh, is broken down into two broad parts. Okay, the first is why France is concerned about this, you know, which is basically tax leakage, and we'll talk about. And the second is it's a very, very good review of how the U.S. tax system actually works, you know, with sort of pros and cons. But anyway, getting there slowly. What do you think, if anything, the conclusion of this report was? So while the report didn't state an explicit conclusion that I could see, um, it strongly implied that the implementation of citizenship taxation is entirely unworkable and, and would present perverse consequences to French citizens in specific situations, such as it specifically referenced in the conclusion, accidental Americans, which are uh, people who have U.S. citizenship from birth, maybe because their parents were spending some time in the United States when they were born, or perhaps there was it was passed down through their uh, lineage, but they don't identify as U.S. citizens. They may not even speak the language, and now they're trapped in a country where they are not on an equal playing field with their fellow citizens because they are carrying the burden of a citizenship that requires them to spend potentially thousands of dollars a year on compliance, even if they don't owe a dime of actual tax. So from a French perspective, that's unreasonable, all right, because the French assumption appears to be the taxation should be related to some kind of, you know, benefits, right? Right. From a U.S. perspective, that's perfect uh, because it's taxation without any benefits being given to the person, right? Right. Okay. I, I would agree with you. I don't think there was a really, really clear conclusion, uh, but I think that the result of the report was moving away from adopting citizenship taxation. I agree. Um, but would you agree that France is very, very upset with, I think what we could call the erosion of its tax base? Yes, it doesn't appreciate tax competition. It sure does not. It sure does not. And can you give uh, for listeners just sort of a practical example of what that means? Sure. So tax competition is the notion that citizens who pay tax based on their residence have the choice of basing themselves in a particular country and living under that country's laws and that country's tax policy. So for example, if you are a resident of France, you would have the option to move to Ireland, for example, and live under Irish tax laws and Irish the Irish legal framework. And so from my perspective as an individual, that's highly desirable. Nations ought to compete for the best and brightest. And I think it promotes accountability among governments. But if you have a citizenship-based system, there is no escape. You're trapped in the net. Well, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, and that is, I think, why, uh, you know, depending on the way you view this, uh, I think people are now basically forced into renouncing U.S. citizenship if they want to have any kind of life outside the United States. Uh, you know, the people who I help renounce are, are not wealthy people at all. Uh, they're just people who, you know, they really love to be in compliance with all these U.S. laws, but they just see no way to do it. 
uh, you know, and survive. So it's either they can do responsible financial planning for themselves and their families, or they they got to renounce. But you can't both be a U.S. citizen abroad and uh, do responsible financial planning. Would you agree? I agree. I agree completely. And my heart breaks with empathy for the Americans forced into that position because by and large, my experience with American expats has been that they love the United States. They they enjoy the culture. They relate to it from an emotional perspective. and uh, But they feel they have no choice. Yeah, that's right. They're not renouncing because they want to. They're renouncing because they have to. You know, I mean, I mean th- that that's pretty clear. Now, one of the things that, that struck me reading that, that report was, you know, a thread that kept running through it. You know, they kept coming back to it saying to me was that when they talk about people leaving, I mean, they were, they were talking about people leaving the country, basically. Right. Right. You know, that was it. We don't want people leaving to greener pastures, you know, sort of like California and New York. You know, they don't like people leaving those states. And what do we do about it, right? What do we do about it? So one thing we do is we say, well, you can never leave. That's it. Our country's a fiscal prison. You can never leave. Right. If you're a French citizen, you can find a place to take you and live there, go right ahead. But if you think for a minute that you're going to be stop being subject to the French tax system, forget it. (laughs) So, you know, they, they considered that. Okay, and uh, now, you know, the United States is a large country and I think has limited awareness of of what's going on, or at least certainly less awareness of what's going on in the United States than, say, France might have of what's going outside France, because France is part of the EU, right, with a bunch of all these countries, right? So when you read the report, did you... um, did you sense an awareness of any conflict between the right of the freedom of movement among EU countries and the whole idea of citizenship taxation? I absolutely did. In fact, I, I took a note here. So, so reading from my translation, and this is full disclosure, my personal translation, not the official translation of the French National Assembly. Uh, But one commenter says that to establish a system like FATCA entrusts the administrative authority with excessive power and it could violate EU principles. And and said further down, there is a risk of tax inequity when it comes to similar taxation of people living in countries that do not necessarily offer the same public services, such as education or health care. And this seems to run counter to European law. So to expand on that just a little bit, let's say you're uh, a French, let's imagine that France somehow implemented citizenship taxation. If you're a French citizen living in Marseille, you would receive the French healthcare benefits, the French education benefits, the unemployment benefits, the, um, there's a very robust social safety net in France. But if, if you move to Sudan, you would continue to be liable for French tax and would enjoy none of those benefits. And that's inherently unequal taxation of people who have the same citizenship. Yeah, that, that's a, that not only is that, you know, a great explanation, but it's one more example of, you know, the thread that I 
see going through this thing that, hey, you know, taxes are what you pay for government services, right? And somehow it seems to me that, you know, it's that concept that, uh, you know, has sort of stopped them before they get to the finish line of, oh, let's do this. This is a great idea, right? Um, Now, so again, I, I would suggest anybody and everybody read this thing, okay, because it it talks about the U.S. tax system, and you'll recognize a lot of people it talks about, including Gabriel Zucman, you know, the uh, the Berkeley professor who's advocating wealth tax. It even references Elizabeth Warren's proposed wealth tax in the context of it being dependent on citizenship taxation. Um, but the whole thing, you know, there's this tension, right? Because the whole thing is we can't let these rich people leave the country and avoid taxation, right? But right. on the other hand, oh my God, most of the people who leave aren't rich. Exactly. And John, there's an interesting tension that runs throughout this report between those two conflicting interests. So on the one hand, and this is again from the report, the the application of a universal tax by a member state of the European Union, such as France, could come up against the principles of the European Union, in particular, the freedom of establishment and the free movement of persons. So there's an acknowledgement there that by placing a compliance burden on people, you will effectively block some people from being able to move freely and establish themselves in other countries. And that runs counter to the whole notion of the great European experiment of combining countries under one umbrella and allowing free movement of peoples. This is a frontal assault on the free movement of people between countries. And so in acknowledging that, the authors of the report attempted to propose various workarounds that would carve out wealthier French taxpayers while sparing the less wealthy. And we can go through some of those examples if you'd like, but the bottom line is those carve-outs are not workable unless there's an enforcement mechanism like FATCA. And that winds you that ends up right in the same place as we started, a violation of the principles of the European Union, blocking the free movement of people between countries. So it's not workable. Well, I think I think it's not workable. All you have to do is look at the American experiment. It's certainly not workable if more than one country does it. All right. Yes. You know, can you imagine if, uh, you know, France and then, you know, Canada, I live in Canada. It's not, a, you know, it's a pretty abusive tax system in my view. Right. But, you know, then Canada says, oh, well, you know, we're, we're going to any Canadian who leaves, you know, not only are we going to make them pay an exit tax, departure tax, but we're going to keep them taxable anyway. Imagine if every country in the world did this. It'd be impossible to leave. Well, uh well it would be impossible to exist <laughs> i mean can you imagine like you know three or four different countries uh you know you're having filing requirements it'd be impossible to comply with any country's tax code so imagine if if france had citizenship taxation i as a dual citizen of france and the united states if i established myself in say brazil and I had to follow the Brazilian tax rules as a resident and the French and the American rules as a citizen, these rules are mutually exclusive. 
So it's impossible to, to comply with all three of them. I would be compelled to be an outlaw. And I'm a law-abiding person. I think that's exactly right. And that's why people renounce U.S. citizenship. You know, it's because of this whole comply, you know, I, I mean, you know, I, you know, I'm an expatriation lawyer, so I, you know, see lots of people's finances and taxes and stuff like that. And they, and they just can't comply with this stuff. It is impossible. Or, you know, to comply or their view is anyway that to comply with U.S. tax laws. It means they can't uh, have the benefits of the Canadian tax system anymore, because part of the thing is, and I think this point is lost, is the taxation tax systems are only partly about the collection of revenue. They yeah. are increasingly about providing the conditions for facilitating retirement planning and things like that, right? Through, you know, say a 401k in the U.S. and the equivalent in other countries, right? Or, you know, principal residence and stuff. And the problem with, the main problem with U.S. citizenship taxation, the main problem is that dis it disables Americans living outside the United States from being able to make use of those normal tax incentivized retirement planning principles that everybody else has, right? That's right. Yeah, another interesting thing is, I think I'm right in this. I remember reading this a few years ago. So exit taxes and departure taxes are the rage in the world right now. You can leave, but you got to pay to leave, right? Okay. And I'm embarrassed to say that I think that Canada actually was first out of the gate in 1996 with its departure tax, right? You know, quietly doing this, but at least it is possible to sever tax residency from Canada. Um, when I first started researching departure tax and exit tax, maybe about 10 years ago, I remember reading some things that departure taxes in the EU violate the principle of freedom of establishment, the freedom of movement, stuff like that. So, I mean, the, you know, this issue is has been considered there, but the relevance of departure taxes or exit taxes in the discussion is that this committee report discussed, considered departure or exit taxes as actually an alternative to citizenship taxation, didn't it? Right, they did. What are your thoughts on that? And I think, do you agree it was as an alternative? Yes, I do. Yeah, I think that's 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 what they intended. Yeah, it's it's an interesting idea that you should have to pay a tax on the wealth that you accumulated in a country before you leave it. And I think pretty clearly as countries build higher and higher walls, you know, as the exit tax goes higher and higher, there's a very clear incentive on the part of anybody that's productive not to accumulate too much wealth inside those countries, uh, because the more wealthy you become, the more subject to these exit taxes you become. And so you have to do some careful financial planning unless you're planning to uh, just get by financially. And I think that's right. Um, what it, what's interesting though, and I don't think this is uh, an overly broad statement, if you have a tax system based on residence taxation, however that's defined, right? Um, there's more likely to be a strong correlation between an exit tax imposed on assets that were acquired while you were a resident of the country, right? Right. 
problem with the U.S. one that it's just literally there's nothing like it in the history of the world. Okay, nothing. Not even there's not even a close second in any extra tax in the history of the world because first of all they force them to expatriate basically, and then if they are a covered expatriate, they're paying the exit tax on assets generally accrued when they did not live in the United States. That's terrible. It's the American way. That's terrible. So <laughs> let me take you through an example. All right, let's say you've got an American citizen living in, pick a country, say Canada, since I'm looking out the window in Canada. And they moved to Canada when they were, you know, got a job after college, 22 years old, basically penniless, like most 22-year-olds are, probably happier too. Uh, and then, you know, so they go through a lifetime of a, you know, they have a pension in Canada. All right. I'll give you an example. Say University of Toronto professor, okay, many of whom I've known. And, you know, so they, they're a professor for 35, 40 years. And, you know, they have a pension worth, say, one and a half million dollars commuted value, right? And they, um, you know, Toronto is not exactly South Texas in terms of real estate prices. You know, they bought a house 30 years ago and, you know, in downtown Toronto near the university. And now the house is, you know, I don't know. I mean, one and a half million or two million. And this is what it costs to have a house in Toronto. I mean, you know, it's the way it is, right? Sort of yeah. thing. But the point is that they're going to, if they want to expatriate, they're subject to the U.S. exit tax. Now, notice that, assuming they have only those two assets, okay, that those are the assets subject to the exit tax. You see that? I do. Non-U.S. assets. Right. And it's in, th in this scenario, they never even saved or invested a dime. They simply worked at their daily job and owned a house. That's right. That's it. Now, let me, it gets worse. You, you think it couldn't get worse than this, right? I would think. I sure hope it doesn't get worse than this. Fine. I'm glad you stay seated because here we go. A trip down the exit tax lane. All right. So let's say they say, I can't take it anymore. I can't afford these tax returns. I have to expatriate. Well, so the way the exit tax works is the first thing is they're subject to a deemed sale of their house. So let's say it's worth two million. They pay two hundred thousand. Uh, you know, and then you, you know, actually, I'm not even sure you get that. But anyway, so you've got at least a million and a half dollars of capital gain to pay tax on, right? Right. At least, all right. Uh, plus the net investment income tax on that, the extra three point eight percent Obamacare surtax. Can't forget that. No, absolutely not. Okay. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's a significant chunk of change so far, right? It is. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of income to put on your tax return when you don't have any income, right? Huge. Pretend income, fake income. But now are you ready for this? Lay it on me. Here it comes. So the pension is taxed differently. Now it's a foreign pension, a foreign deferred compensation plan. So you know what happens to that? Let's say it's worth one and a half million dollars. The day before expatriation, meaning renunciation, 
you are deemed to have received the commute of the present value of the pension, the full one and a half million dollars as income, or at least as subject to income. So, I mean, you know, that could be a 500,000, 400,000. You know, I'm mean, up to 700,000 in taxes owing. For somebody who might be a school teacher. You know, Ryan, oh, let me tell you something. So many of the people I've worked with are Ontario teachers, meaning high school. Very lucrative pension plans, very lucrative pension plans. And by the way, the profile I'm giving you, I didn't have to make it up because it's, you know, the mainstay of my life with these people. Right. All I have is a house and a pension. And now notice that none of this has anything to do with the United States whatsoever. Nothing whatsoever. OK. Right. And if they want to renounce, they're going to be subject to this massive exit tax, this huge tax bill on income they never even received. Now, notice how that's different from, you know, the situation with, say, the Canadian exit tax or the French, uh, whatever it is they have going on there in some of the European countries, right, which may have these exit departure taxes, but they tend to be, they're almost overwhelmingly based on appreciation of, they usually don't include pensions, by the way, okay, but, you know, the, the appreciation of assets while the person was actually living in the country. And this is, this is what's amazing about this thing. Now, to give you another sense of the, un, the level of the unfairness, so let's compare a University of Toronto professor who has a Canadian pension. That same person, had he taught at, say, Stanford University, and had the equivalent pension from Stanford. Are you ready for this? Lay it on me. It's coming would be able to keep the pension. Amazing. And basically the way they would tax it is when the payments were made, right? You know, I mean, you right. cannot make this kind of injustice and unfairness up. You cannot make it up. And what's interesting is that it is all rooted from the original sin of citizenship taxation, right? Nationality-based taxation. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. that interesting? That is amazing. Who could have predicted all these horrible and unfair consequences? I don't know. I don't know. But the thing is, they're blatantly obvious now. They're blatantly obvious now. You know, we talk about the unfair consequences. I mean, let's, let's talk about the accidental Americans. You know, these people who you know, never lived in the United States, what have you, you know. Um, the U.S. Treasury has known about this problem for years and is unwilling to do anything about it. I mean, do you think it's reasonable to conclude that their behavior is willful at this point? Oh, yes, I think so. Why do you think they won't do anything about it? I think it has to do with information and control that they have effectively millions and millions of information gatherers. Everybody that has U.S. indicia, a U.S. place of birth or a U.S. passport or anything else that offers a clue they could be American. 
any any bank that accepts those people becomes an unpaid information collector and reporter to the U.S. government. Or as somebody once said to me, a FATCA node, a FATCA node. So you got these millions of FATCA nodes, right, you know, popping up all around the world all the time. Another interesting byproduct of this is that we go back to the example of the exit tax paid by the Canadian. I mean, you know, this is not only an assault on the individual, but it's an assault on the sovereignty of the country where they live. Because what, you know, I'd be interested in your, your I'm going to ask you a question about how to define citizenship taxation. It occurred to me a week or two ago that this might be the right definition, that citizenship taxation is where one country claims the tax residents of another country are really its tax residents. Yes, that makes sense. I, I've always thought of it as taxation based on who you are rather than where you live. I, I think that's, that's also a good way. I mean, I think that people who are opponents of this need, you know, a repertoire of ways of explaining it. Yes. You know, I think that all of this is true. But I think a point that is missed here is how, you know, citizenship taxation is really results in the base, the erosion of the tax bases of other countries, because all this money gets transferred out of Canada that was supposed to be, you know, used for retirement planning, you know. I mean, you know, if I were uh, a government person, an elected official, a policy person, I would absolutely ban immigration from any U.S. citizen. I mean, how can you have this, these kinds of people in your country? you know, just 24-7 assaulting the tax base, right? Yeah, yeah. If, I mean, just to go back to your earlier example, let's say you have that poor Toronto teacher who now has a $500,000 bill, probably has to negotiate some kind of payment plan that may last for decades with the IRS. Ryan, you can only get the payment. You can't get the payment plan on the pension. You can pension. only get the payment plan on the on the capital asset. So what is a teacher to do? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you know, you have to you have to make sure they're under the two million dollars. So what they'll do typically is gift away their property. You know, mm -hmm. if they own a home with a spouse, that's it. They can't own it anymore. I mean, you know, it's that serious of a problem. And uh, make no mistake, it, it you know, and then you have the problem of, um, well, you know, I mean, Nobody likes to talk about death, but, you know, so you can give away your property to a non-U.S. citizen spouse and get below the $2 million, But what if the spouse dies before you do and you inherit it all? Then you're in a situation where, you know, you're locked into a system you can't comply with. You can't expatriate because the exit tax is too high. I mean, I've seen this time after time, which is why although a lot of people have trouble getting their minds around this, all roads lead to renunciation. You know, it's, it's a protective thing. That makes sense. And this, yeah, I, feel, I feel as though as the father of, of American citizens, uh, this is a talk I'm going to have to have with each of them when they become teenagers. You should be aware of, of this very sober burden that you have and this threat to your ability to, move and live freely and pursue pursue happiness. Well, I think that's exactly right. I mean, just think of, you know, of how many lives that, that have been completely ruined by this. 
but you know, so my I agree with your your sense of the sort of conclusion of the report, the direction was moving that they don't want to get into this, which I think is the right answer, obviously. But let's talk about some other proposals that they had. I mean, one was the exit tax. We sort of talked about that. And, you know, uh, exit taxes are up and coming. More and more countries have them. Um, one that I thought was particularly interesting was uh, sort of... Uh, you're still a tax resident for three to five years after you move. That that sort of thing. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that seems patently unfair, for one thing, uh, because you're you're no longer using the services, you're no longer living there. Um, at least there's a path out. But I think this was implied in the report. I don't think anyone came out and said this outright. But to the degree that a tax is, is put in place based on the nationality of the person and a tax that lasts three to five years after physical expatriation certainly qualifies as a citizenship tax since a person who renounced their nationality could immediately stop the clock, right? So it is a limited form of citizenship taxation. It devalues the nationality. Oh, it, oh it absolutely devalues the nationality. I mean, if US citizens were stocks, they would trade at a discount relative to every other human being on the planet because of this problem, right? Exactly uh, right. Of which we're all aware of. Um, okay, so so we've got that. Now, here's something I found absolutely fascinating. Was the suggestion of the sort of, well, if you want to leave, you owe us for your education, you know, or whatever. We're going to put a price on that, and it's a loan we've given to you, and maybe you have to pay that loan back. I mean, th this was the rationale for the Soviet, uh, uh, you know, departure exit taxes, right? You know, years right. ago. What do you think of that? No, that's that's horribly unfair treatment of citizens. You're discriminating against citizens who should choose to leave. So, going back to that quote about European principles of the European Union you're preventing people from having mo mobility. Say you're a French citizen and you're living in Bordeaux and you want to move to uh, Brussels. Well, if you move to Brussels, you're going to have to start making payments on this loan. But if you stay put, you don't have to. Yeah. And that's blunt discrimination and that, that's effectively a barrier that prevents lower and maybe lower middle income people from leaving. I guess it depends on how much the loan is, right? But it's... It's a form of imprisonment in the country. Well, it, it absolutely is a form of imprisonment. I think the way they describe, if I'm reading it correctly, and full disclosure, you know, I read this thing relatively quickly. Uh, you know, this afternoon is a very long report. Okay, um, I think what they were saying was that it would kick in only if people reached a certain income level or something like that. I mean, it's clearly better than citizenship taxation. Okay. Uh, you know, as a general principle, but but it still it still has its problems. Um, is that pretty much it in terms of you know the you know the range of things they discussed? I mean, you know, France is very very upset about the concept of people moving, you know, and possibly paying less tax than they would pay in France, right? That's right. Yeah. 
you know, one one interesting thing was they talked about having some mechanism for identifying French citizens who leave France with the intent of reducing their taxes. Oh, my God. And imposing some sort of punitive tax regime on just those people. And uh, to the to the credit of the authors on this study, they actually cited a survey, which let me see if I can find this here. So the, re the report cites a survey saying most French people do not leave because of tax. In fact, in a, the survey showed 7% of people left primarily for tax reasons. The other 93% of French people left for family reasons, job opportunities, educational opportunities, quality of life, wanting a different climate for retirement purposes or, or whatever. And interestingly, uh, the French government actually did a consular survey and it showed that taxation is only one reason why French people leave. It's often not the primary motivation for a move abroad. And they said tax exile is all the more difficult to get a handle on as the register of French nationals living abroad is not exhaustive, nor registration compulsory. So essentially, you have to get into the mind of the person that's leaving and read their mind, or you have to make a determination, an administrative determination which the report pointed out is impossible to, to do accurately. Um, let me see if I can find. So, Yeah, um, so it says it, it, France may need to tighten the rules in the event of a change of nationality motivated mainly by tax reasons. The report points out that despite the U.S. increasing the cost and difficulty of renunciation, the number of renunciations has steadily increased. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. I, I think as the price goes up, more and more people will renounce. In fact, you know, I, I remember once I was sitting in a, a restaurant uh, and there were some people actually talking about this. This goes back some years. And, uh, you know, as you may know, the cost of renounce was $450. Then it went up to $2,350, right? So people are sitting at this table and, you know, and one of them says, well, you know, I renounced and it cost me $450. The other guy said, and he seemed like he was really proud of this. Well, I paid $2,350, you know. And then, you know, they bantered on and, they, you know, the server heard this and, uh, came over and you know looked at them and sort of smiled and said well you know what i'm gonna wait till it costs five thousand <laughs> you can't deny the trend line is up right the barriers to exit are rising and um it seems as it seems as though as the barriers rise the amount of renunciations of american nationality continue to increase why why would a country do this well, you tell me, why would a country, I mean, I can't figure it out either. It is so unbelievably unjust. Why do they do this? I, I, I just have to think that it's only possible because so few people are aware that it exists. I think if, I think you, you could take just about any, any American and if they, if they listened to our conversation and they joined with us, I think they would, they would say, this is horribly unfair. Why are Americans treating their citizens differently than every other country on earth? Why is it that there's no ability for Americans to choose? There's a notion of Americans among Americans of fair play. And there's plenty of Americans are happy to talk about moving from California to Texas 
as I did, right? There's it's it seems completely reasonable that you should be able to choose the state that best represents your personal value system, that has the kind of services that you'd like to receive. So people should be free to choose. And the federal government is blocking people from choosing. And it actually hits the poorest people the hardest because they're the ones who can't access good counsel. They can't afford this fee. Yeah. It's terrible. Well, you know, the sad truth is that, um, you know, the United States has turned U.S. citizenship into a disability unless you live in the United States. I mean, it's just unbelievable that any country would do this, right? I mean, you know, in Dublin, Ireland, uh, there's a museum of Irish emigration, you know, where they actually celebrate, you know, all these people from Ireland, you know, who went across the ocean, you know, to here, there, and everywhere. And yeah great prominence. I mean, I think that uh, uh, President Reagan, I think, was one example, you know, of his ancestors, etc. But, uh, you know, the United States uh, sees itself as a nation of immigrants only, and that's it. And, uh, you know, those who want to leave should be punished, clearly. Uh, that was That's a moving anecdote about Ireland. France is very similar. It celebrates its diaspora. There are actually 11 seats in the French National Assembly that are allocated exclusively to representation of French citizens living abroad. So the entire world is divided up into 11 districts outside of France. And uh, as you can imagine, these representatives of French citizens living abroad have been among the most vocal opponents of any citizenship tax proposal in France. So that's, that's a reassuring thing, at least that, that the French have a voice to hold this back. Well, now, in France, do you have a uh, a right to vote because you're a citizen? Yes, I do. So what's interesting is, I don't know if you're aware of this. I mean, some people are shocked to hear this. The U.S. has no constitutional right to vote at all. Uh, you know, it's governed by the individual states. And, um, you know, there are, there are certain Americans abroad, if they were Americans because they inherited their citizenship, you know, through a parent or something, who actually don't even have the right to vote, hmm. you know, which is, uh, you know, a byproduct of just, you know, the sort of constitution. But I do think that it, it serves to exacerbate uh, the unfairness of this. So tell me, Ryan, where do you see this going? I'm relieved because I think the French government is going to hold off on this. I don't see any appetite or momentum to, do something like this. There might be some tinkering around the edges with the existing exit tax. And I think there there remains a huge appetite among Western European countries in general for tax revenue. I mean, France ranks number one in the world for tax to GDP ratio. Oh my so God. they're running out of things to tax. <laughs> but um, my-, my well, that, that, That's the benefit of, of citizenship taxation, right? Because remember how we defined it. Is where you claim the residents of other countries as your tax residents, right? right. So you know that France is running out of things to tax. Well, let's find some more people to tax. Why don't we? Why don't we declare every resident of Germany a, a French national? Right, right. Effectively, that's that's what the U.S. has already done. Yeah, that's exactly right. But I, I I think that because there's no history of this in France. I, I would be very, very surprised to see something like this actually put into effect. We just had the, the last round of presidential elections and 
there was a tremendous effort among the candidate for NUPES, which is sort of the left-wing coalition that coalesced around La France Insoumise, which is Jean-Luc Mélenchon's party. And Jean-Luc Mélenchon, as you recall, is the primary proponent of the universal tax or citizenship taxation in today's France. And in the campaign emails they were sending to French citizens living abroad, they were trying to reassure people that the, the tax they were proposing was nothing like the American system, that it wouldn't have anything like the horrible reputation or the burdens of the American system. Don't worry, this is something completely different. And I thought that was very telling. It is very telling, you know, a lot of different levels. We know they all lie anyway. I mean, you know, where are they going to get their role model? Right, right. That's amazing stuff. Um, this has been a great discussion. Um, but I want to give you the opportunity also, are there any aspects of the report that you'd like to sort of comment on that we haven't touched that you think are important here? Well, the report pointed out that the reason why the exit tax was substantially scaled back in 2019 was, this is from my translation, quote, in order to strengthen the attractiveness of our territory. So it seems that there is an awareness, even at the highest levels, that an exit tax reduces the competitiveness of France. It makes it a less desirable place. And rather than than being a source of brain drain where a smart French college graduate looks around the world and says, maybe my best opportunities are elsewhere. Get out now. Get out now before you get stuck, right? Um, my, my hope is that France will move back towards a competitive environment where college graduates say, this is a really exciting place to live and raise a family. And um, they're, they're not worried about losing their pension in their home <laughs> because they made the mistake right. of, you know, becoming a, a teacher, you know. Can you imagine anything more criminal than that? Becoming a high school teacher, buying a house. I mean, it just doesn't get worse than that. Does it? I mean, these are these tax evaders that they're yeah. going after. <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. But one other thing I wanted to point out is that see uh, there's also they also pointed out that there are different kinds of tax like there are social taxes and there are estate taxes and the practical application of these to non-resident citizens is virtually impossible so because it is it is completely impossible to impose for for as you said for two countries to have citizenship taxation since compliance with two or three tax codes at a time is impossible. I, I, I don't think this will move ahead. I, I think that this idea will remain relegated to uh, late nights over glasses of wine in, in certain rooms in France. Well, and, a discussion among the pension intellectuals, the pension intellectuals, right? Yes. You know, I, I mean, you know, these would never apply to their assets, right? You know, just just everybody else's asset. They don't have to worry about making a living. They're tenured professors, right? Right. <laughs> Amazing stuff. All right. Well, this has been a, a really great conversation. And uh, I thank you again for uh, sending me this, this report and your willingness to uh, discuss it today. And perhaps we can continue this discussion down the road. Um, any final words before we call it quits for today? 
I'd love to conclude with a comment from the end of the report. Uh, one of the commenters said, this report verifies a very important law, which states that the most intellectually stimulating reports are generally the least practical. I find that the theoretical obstacles to the creation of a universal tax are still very strong. In other words, the whole idea is just too heavenly to be of any earthly use. That's right. With that summarizing. <laughs> All right, that's great. Thanks so much, Ryan. It's been a real pleasure, John. Thank you for Bye. having me.